We will be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning talking about growth in the Christian life. And I love the idea of growth, that, that God has called us to grow, God has made us to grow. Being a dad, you have some great joys in being a parent and being a dad. And one of those things is watching your kids grow. I've got three kids, they're all teenagers, what fun we're having. And so for me, I've loved seeing my kids go from these little babies that were so dependent upon us, and now we're in a stage of life where they're learning to be independent of us, to do things on their own. I'm seeing my kids grow in wisdom. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And also, you can all, I mean, most of us remember, I don't know about you, but for me as a kid, I remember going against the wall. Any kids in this room, you, have you ever gone against the wall and mom and dad start measuring you? against the wall, you got little marks in the house. Let me, let me have that experience. Well, for me, I loved it because I wanted to be tall. I didn't get there. But I remember the joys of just, hey, I'm going to be taller than my dad. I'm going to be taller than my dad. That was a goal of mine. It didn't happen. My dad was six foot three. So, but there's just a joy in watching kids mature and grow in so many ways. And God has made that to happen for you and I. Right, we, we understand growth physically. We even understand it emotionally at times in growing into what it means to be an adult. But sometimes we need encouragement of what it does it mean to grow spiritually. How do I grow spiritually? And I think 1 Peter 2 gives us a very clear example of a person who is actually growing spiritually as a disciple and follower of Jesus. So if you're there already, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so let me read. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. This is God's word for you today. And what God is teaching in this passage, this is the main theme that we're going with this morning, is that God has made you to grow in the Christian life. God has made you to grow in the Christian life. If you go back to chapter one, we talked about this, that being born again means that God's word, this imperishable seed came in to our hearts, was living inside of us and began growing and growing a salvation in us so strongly that it will never fade that ultimately what God has done in our hearts brings us new life new joys, new hopes in Christ because ultimately we will be with him for eternity. You've been made to live forever. You've been made to grow forever, to grow in Christ and knowing him throughout all the ages. God has called us to grow and there are three areas of growth that 1 Peter 2 talks about. There's a growth in God's word. There's a growth in even Christ being the foundation of your life. And there's a growth in ministry. That is what he is talking about. And so this first point we're going to take a look at is growing in God's word. If you take a look back, look at verse 2. It says, like newborn infants, newborn babies, right? They long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you would grow up into salvation. The illustration he's giving is very simple. A newborn baby, when it is hungry, it needs milk. It needs sustenance. And what does it do? It cries out. It cries out to mom. From milk. It longs, it craves, it needs it. It needs milk, it depends on milk. For you and I, that is God's word. The pure spiritual milk is God's word. That God's word is sustenance to us. It's, it's the bread in our life. You think of the Lord's prayer, what does he pray? What does he teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. God is our daily bread. The word of God is our daily bread. It's our spiritual milk. It is the spiritual sustenance we need every single day that we live. And so is there a longing desire for it in your heart? That is the mark of a growing Christian. A longing for spiritual milk. And that longing for spiritual milk deep in our hearts is a longing for the presence of God. It's a longing that says, I need God more than anything in my life. I need him to speak to me. I need him to be near me. I want him to be central, to be everything in my life. That's what it's saying. In God's words, God's word is his voice in our lives. It speaks to us for all of our needs. And so there has to be a growth in God's word. 
And there's simply two ways we grow. When we hear God's word, when we read God's word, there are two things we grow in. We grow in knowing who he is and what he has done. And then we grow in having a knowledge of the scriptures. So it's a knowledge in our hearts of what he says, but it's also an intimate knowledge, a relational knowledge that connects us to him. That's what happens when we're growing in God's word. And God has made you to grow in his word through people. You can read it on your own individually. I don't want to ignore that. But I want to talk about the necessity of people to grow in God's word. I almost had an epiphany on this because I've heard this verse a lot and I was questioning in my mind, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? But more than that, what does it mean to be a discipler? of people, a discipler of disciples. And I went back to the Great Commission, a very well-known passage. And we all typically know the Great Commission is go and make disciples. We, We get that. It's a command that Jesus gives us to make disciples. And if if he has given us a command, you all have the ability to obey it. The command in the Great Commission is not pastors make disciples. It's not staff members make disciples. It's not you super spiritual holy people you make disciples. No. All of you make disciples. And if Jesus commands it, you're able to obey it. And he defines very clearly what a discipler does. What does a discipler do? Teach God's word. A discipler teaches God's word to someone else. More than that, what does a discipler do? A discipler teaches how to obey the commandments. Interesting, what did Emmy just learn over the summertime? I learned how to O-I-A. Thank you, Emmy, for helping me preach my sermon. I learned to observe the commandments. I learned them. I'm being taught them. I learned to how to interpret them. And then I learned how to apply them, which application is what? Learning to obey so, Jesus, so for me, Emmy, you taught me that Jesus has given you the ability to make disciples. Right? Very good. See how easy that is? I, I want us to move away from the difficulty of what it means to disciple someone else. We make it so hard and overwhelming. I mean, you, look at, you look at these first two verses... And it's a reminder, again, of discipleship. Verse 1 says, hey, how are you obeying? Right? 
If there's malice and deceit and hypocrisy in your life, you're not obeying. So stop it. Grow in not being angry all the time. Grow in not lying. Grow in not being slanderous. That's obeying. Then number two, long for the pure spiritual milk. That is what? Growing in God's word. Being taught the commandments. This is what Peter's describing. Peter is describing a disciple that grows in God's word, that's learning what it means to be a disciple. So you and I are disciplers to other people. I will repeat, you and I are disciplers to other people, not mere disciples. The problem is, you don't think you can. And I know this. Why? Because I've talked to 10 or 15 people in our congregation this week asking, are you able to disciple someone? And have them said, no. So I know where you're at. You don't think you're a discipler. Because here's what you say. Number one, I can't do this. Number two, I'm not good enough. And number three, that is overwhelming. That's where you all are at. Hey, it's okay. I want to encourage you that Jesus doesn't give you a command that you can't obey because he loves you and cares for you. And his commandments we know are not what? Burdensome. So why do you think they're burdensome? Maybe it lies more on you and not on Jesus. And so I hope today to equip you to be a discipler. Prayerfully, I get this done in time because I have taken an overwhelming task, but I've trusted Jesus with my overwhelming task today. Right? That's how you feel. Hey, we're in the same boat. Great. He loves us. He always helps us to do it. All right? So, if you want to take out your sheet, there's a sheet I gave you in your bulletin. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I have it memorized, so hopefully I know where I'm going. All right. Now, this is going to be a fun experiment. Students in the room, I need all my students. Hey, students, if you're in school, look at me. Look at me. How, and see, this is what I'm doing here. I'm going to my students to teach you on whether or not you can be a discipler. Students, how many of you can read? Raise your hand if you can read. Can you, I, I need, half of you, I need all of you. If you know how to read, great. Thank you. Most of us know how to read. Now, next question. How many of you, when you read, ask questions to yourself while you're reading? Anybody ask questions? Raise your hand. How many of you ask questions when you read? Wonderful. This is going so great. My teacher is coming out right now. I'm a, I'm a secondary education teacher. If you didn't know, I'm a biology teacher by profession. All right. So number one, most of us know how to read. Number two, most of us know how to ask questions of comprehension to learn what we're reading. Okay? Do you realize the basic element of being a discipler to a disciple is knowing how to read because God gave us a book 
God gave us a book for you to disciple. Okay? Profound, I know. God gave us a book. You can read and you can ask questions. Principles of reading. Hmm. I wonder if we can ask these questions. Uh, let's take a look. It says principles of reading on your sheet. Everybody see that? Do you think you can ask someone in reading something with someone, what do these words mean? How many of you are capable of asking that question when you sit to read something with someone? Raise your hands. Are you capable? Great. What does this phrase mean? Everybody capable to do that? Great. What does this look like to live this out? Who's capable to ask that question? Right? How can I apply this in my life? Can you ask that question? Great. Do you know what you all have admitted to me? What did you just admit? You all have the ability to be disciplers. You just answered the question. Why do you not think you have the ability? Because all it is is getting together with God's word, learning it, learning what it says, how it applies in my life. Learning it, being taught the word of God, learning how to apply it, learning how to obey God's word. That is Jesus' definition. Why are you making it harder than how Jesus defined it? Does everybody get that or am I, have I lost my mind? Yes. I want you to come away from this place saying, I have absolutely every ability to make disciples. I have absolutely every ability to sit down with someone and read a passage of scripture, talk about it, we learn together, grow in it and say, how are you doing with malice in your life? How are you doing in God's word? How am I doing with whatever it presents? And pray over it. That is discipleship 101 according to whom? According to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. I am so glad that God's word today has convinced you that you all have the ability to disciple someone. Now, what's the application? <laughs> Pretty simple, right? How am I discipling someone? I think I've made it very clear that all discipleship is is sitting down over a cup of coffee over at your house here at the church wherever you are to read a passage of scripture read it together ask basic reading principles there you go the spirit of God uses his book changes our hearts and helps us to learn to walk deeper with Christ through people. Because the avenue by which Jesus has made us to learn and grow in God's word is through this thing called discipleship. And it will always be that way. Always. The word of God is the centerpiece by which you and I disciple one another and grow in him. And that in this word that we have presented with, 
and that we have before us, the word of God is always pointing us back to who? Jesus. Jesus, this cornerstone. I almost feel like if I just would have re, re, redid our worship songs this morning and we came back up here again, I'm like, that's my sermon. Like, literally, what we sang, what Emmy talked about is my sermon. And he is the cornerstone, the centerpiece of our lives. He's a solid rock on which I stand. Jesus has to be the foundation of your life. And that's the next thing I'm saying. Our next point is you have to grow in Christ as our foundation. Those two songs we sang, that he's everything to me. He's my hope. He's the anchor of my soul. He's the anchor of my life. That's what it means to have Jesus as the cornerstone. The scripture in verse 6 says what? Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the foundation of everything. Everything in the universe, everything in the world, everything in our lives. And I thought about, like, how do you, like, what perspective do you have to have in life for Jesus to be this foundation what, what do I need to grow into to understand Jesus being my foundation? And there's a simple quote that I think St. Patrick wrote it, but I, I think the quote is, is helpful of a perspective that has Christ as the foundation and centerpiece of our lives. It is simply this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my left, Christ on my right, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth in everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Christ everywhere. He's everything. Foundational, central to all that I do, to every breath I take, to every fiber in my being that does any act. Christ. That is a life that understands growing in Christ is the foundation of my life. And it's seeing him, it's seeing him as the most important thing. See what the writer says, what Peter says? He describes Jesus as good. You notice that? Verse three. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is what? Good, kind, the writer's convinced that Jesus is all that's good, all that's kind. And then he goes on to verse 4. What does he say? That Jesus is a living stone. He's the rock. He is the rock. I can trust him. I can believe in him. There's no other name 
that I can trust. He's a strong and mighty tower. My refuge is in him and not all the chaos and the trouble I see in the world. He's that stone, precious. He's precious to me. That's what it says. That Jesus is chosen and precious. Is the Savior precious to you this morning? Do you have a love for him that far exceeds any of your other loves? Because you've seen him as he is. Not only is he this living stone, this rock, he is precious and he is excellent. That's what it says in verse 9. That we are a people for his own position. That we might proclaim what? The excellencies of Jesus who called us out of darkness and into this marvelous light. That he is the light that we see in the world. He is the hope that we see in the world. There's a perspective of us growing in a knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done. And when I think about the, this idea that he is precious, it reminds me of, of looking at a diamond. Like, I've never seen the Hope Diamond like in person. But I think that would be fascinating to see. And particularly, I think it'd be fascinating if you put the, the Hope Diamond and allow it to go out like on today. Take that Hope Diamond out today. I'd wonder at, at its brilliance. What, like, what would you see? When you look at all of the facets, all the different shines, what would you see? Is that Jesus to you? Like, the facet of his goodness and his kindness to you. The facet of his grace that forgives you even when you are despicable. You're still forgiven and not condemned. The facet that, that he's faithful. He, he's never going to leave me. Even if I stray, even if I turn my back on him, he's still there. He's still there. Or the facet of his just mere presence, that he's an omnipresent God. He's everywhere. He's in my heart. I'll never be alone because he's there. And are all those facets of, of his character, are they becoming more precious to you? That is the mark of someone who's growing and understanding Jesus as the cornerstone of their life. And in Jesus being this cornerstone of our lives, it says in verse chapter 6 that this cornerstone that's chosen and precious, when you believe in him, you won't be put to shame. You won't be disappointed. And the call in having Jesus as the cornerstone, it is a call to trust him with everything you have. That you believe him for all that he is. And, it, and it, you know, you know without the shadow of a doubt that he will not fail you. 
He will not disappoint you. And there is no shame in trusting him with your life. That is Jesus being the cornerstone of our lives. And I, and I love how in him being the foundation of our lives, that he is actually building us up to be a people. So as we're growing in him, he's the one making us grow in him. That's what it says, right? You yourselves, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are doing what? You're being built up in him as a what? A spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What a fascinating illustration that he goes back to Old Testament perspectives that God's presence was made known where in the Old Testament? In the temple. In the temple that was built with stones. God's presence resided in a place, an actual location. But the Spirit of God has changed that. And the Spirit of God is in you to make you now a living stone. Jesus is building in you all of his character, that he is living inside of you, and you're a stone, but you're not just a singular stone. You're all living stones together in a community, and all the living stones are put together, brick upon brick, together, knit together, tied together, to build what? A spiritual household that we call the what? The church. That the church would be the very presence of God here on earth as it is in heaven as his presence is made known through each and every one of you. As your life is consistently being built on the foundation of the cornerstone in Jesus Christ. We grow. We grow together in what it means to have Christ as our foundation. Growth is a community project. Whether it's growing in God's word, growing and learning to have Christ as the centerpiece of my life. Right? I, I, I even use a, a quote from someone else to demonstrate that. Our very lives demonstrate that Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives. I like the quote from Dallas Willard on this. Spiritual formation cannot be a private thing because it is a matter of whole life transformation. You need to seek out others in your community who are pursuing the renovation of the heart. I think it says see, it means seek. You should say seek. Seek out others who are pursuing the transformation of the heart. That's what Jesus has in mind. These are the living stones he describes. And the living stones come together to build a spiritual house that's growing in Christ together. And so, here's my invitation to you. Get in a group. It's pretty clear 
that God has called people to gather together, to grow together, to grow in God's word together, to grow in knowing Jesus as our foundation of our lives. We grow together. On the tables is a list of, if you leave this place, on the right, there's a table with sheets about what our groups are and where they're at. And they meet on Wednesday night. This Wednesday, we're not meeting because where are we going to be? Right here. So part of a living stone is come Wednesday, come pray with us. That's what it means to live out making disciples and living as living stones, making Christ the centerpiece of our lives. And I also put a sign-up sheet. If you want to grow what it means to be a discipler, put your name on that sheet. We're going to find you a way where someone will help you understand and grow in maturing as a discipler of people. Okay? So that's another way to apply this today. And you notice the, the value and importance that I've placed on growth with people. People are necessary to grow. Therefore, the final point is we have to grow in ministry. Ministry to who? People. We're growing with people. So we stated before that you are disciples, but we don't think we are disciples. I love what the text says. It also says that you're priests. You catch that? I, and it's so great because some of you are looking like, dude, what are you talking about? You got some images of your mind of, of somebody with a, a, a white piece or something. You got some kind of super religious stuff. You know, that's what you're thinking of. Something super religious. No, that's not what it says. It says that you and I are a holy priesthood. We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Another way of saying a royal priesthood, priests who belong to a king, our king being Jesus. The priests of the Old Testament, they would intercede on the behalf of other people and they would do what? They would take a sacrifice, which was an animal, they would kill it and burn it as a sacrifice for sin for their people. Jesus is saying, you do the same. But the sacrifice is different. The sacrifice has already been made in Christ to be the forgiveness of sin. This is the gospel. Jesus, who is God in heaven, came to earth to live a sinless life amongst us. He came to show us the way to the Father. He had to make a way for us to be forgiven of sin so that we could have a right relationship with this God who loves us. And so he came, he died on the cross as a sacrifice in our place so that we would be forgiven of our sin and know God. Then he died, he was buried, and he rose again to show that he was the infinite almighty God who is not bound by death. He was the sacrifice for us. So we no longer have to have a sacrifice for our sins. 
We've come to Jesus for that. But in this way, it says that we are royal priesthood, and it says a holy priesthood offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And here are these spiritual sacrifices. It's simply the way you live your life to please God. It's your serving others. It's your wanting to grow and not sinning against God. It's whatever you do to live your life in such a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God. That is a spiritual sacrifice. Not only that, but priests mediate on someone's behalf. How do you and I do that? Does anybody pray for someone else in the room? When you pray, you're being a priest. You're mediating on someone's behalf. That's all you're doing. When you share Jesus with someone else, what are you doing? Aren't you interceding? Being the representative of God to man? That's what you're doing. If you take a look at your sheets again, you'll see like the little marks, and I forgot to explain this, but the, I knew I'd forget something. You take a look, you'll see the little Bible on the top, on the little, those little like Bible thing. That's just Bible study. Those questions are for Bible study. Then you'll see a little heart thing. Those questions are for application, how to obey. Then you'll see this little king thing. Those questions remind us that we are a kingdom, that we're priests representing the king. And those questions remind us that we're to go and spread the kingdom throughout the world. Then finally, I have a little cross there to remind us that Jesus prays for us. He's our intercessor. And we are intercessors, like priests, who pray for people. And I love how Hebrews conveys this idea. There were priests who make sacrifices. Listen to this. Through Jesus, I think it's up here, sorry. Hebrews 13, verse 15, I think it's the next slide, yes. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, what's the sacrifice of my life? The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That is so fascinating to me. This even the mere fact of me mentioning the name of Jesus to someone else is a sacrifice of praise to God that he finds as pleasing and acceptable. It's your acts of service. It's all that you do to be a priest before our God. And Revelation, it even says, to him, to Jesus who loves us, who's freed us from sins by his blood, he has made us to do what? To be what? a kingdom, and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You all, at the end of days, when Jesus comes and returns, he will see you as priests. He will see you as parts of his kingdom. What a wonderful thing that we have a part of this eternal kingdom that lasts forever.
forever and ever where Christ is king. So how do I do that? How can I be a priest? I will share with you what I think is a great, powerful example of how we are priests in the world. And I will try to contain my emotions because the story is so compelling of God working in someone's life through one of you. I told you all, you all wrote my sermon today. I did this sermon in the context of community. I even need community to preach God's word. How can we not think we need community to grow in all the ways God has given us? The story I want to share is about a partner here at our church. He's not a pastor. He's not a staff member. He is not seminary trained. I would describe him as someone who simply loves and follows Jesus. So, this friend of ours at church had a young man come up to his door. The young man was age 19. This young man came up to the door to sell Spectrum. And the great story in this is that my friend told me he was just considering putting a no solicitation sign in the front of his door, which I think is great. God does have a sense of humor, right? So this young man begins talking to him, selling him Spectrum, trying to really tell him how he should get the service. And he was an excellent salesman, actually. And then he began sharing with our friend from church his plans for his life and what he wanted to do, kind of his dreams and where he was going. And it opened up a door. And this friend of ours from church said, you know, to do all this, you need God. You need God's guidance in your life. You need his plan. And you need his perspective. He has to be a part of what you're doing and where you're going. And man, this conversation opened up into a wonderful conversation about Jesus Christ the cornerstone. And after this conversation, this is the text that the young man shares with him after their conversation. I just want you to know that although we just met, you've touched me in such a profound way that I can't explain. It's like something magical happened. The way you spoke with such passion and enthusiasm and with such in-depth knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit and the way you transferred that energy to me, which I think is hysterical. You've made me better today, and I thank you for that. You've made me a firm believer. I will now walk with God wherever I go and let him guide me. At first, when I spoke with another woman, I thought it was coincidence, but now I realize it's not. God is trying his hardest to reach me. I thank you for taking the time out to talk to me the way you did because for so long I did walk without God. Because of things that happened in my life, I didn't understand why. 
I was blaming myself and asking him why. Now I know why, what happened. God needed my mom up there with him. Her mission was done. She had raised me already, and although I've deviated from God's path from time to time, he always seems to make his way back to me by showing himself through people just like you. Once again, thank you for that. I needed it greatly. Have a great night. That man is a living example of a priest, one who's growing in ministry with others. If only you and I would open our eyes to see all the places that Jesus has made for you and I to come alongside and show people that Jesus who's precious, kind, good, caring, loving, wonderful, mighty, holy, and powerful. He has given his spirit to each and every one of you to make disciples just like the friend in our church who was making a disciple. You all? Let's grow. In the coming year, let's grow. Let's grow in God's word together. Let's grow in Christ being the foundation of our lives together. Let's grow in ministry together so that Jesus would build in us a spiritual household, the church that proclaims his excellencies all around the world. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It's so powerful. And thank you for what you're doing in our world. Thank you for how you're using the people in our church to be priests that show the excellency of Jesus everywhere we go. Help us to do that, Lord, for your name's sake and for your honor and for your glory. Amen.